everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I'm still wearing shorts, and with me this week is Presidente de Podcast, Scott Reed. Still VP-less, as far as I understand. Yeah. And forever will be. And Secretary of Education, Bill Muffin Cow. Yeah. Yeah. Bring on the muffins. Bring on the muffins is right. Uh, Bill, will you pray for us? Mm Mm-hmm. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, for the joy of being together. We want to glorify you in this time and ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we'd say things that really matter for not only time, but eternity. Thank you for the audience. We pray blessings on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Scott. I I have not listened to last week's show yet. I haven't had a chance to edit it, so... I don't. You said that this is the same card as last week. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is here, everybody. Oh gosh. Because I walked into the closet and um, and the the Would You Rather box, it, the cards are in a little little box, uh, had fallen off the thing where we keep it, and they were kind of all over the floor. So I cleaned them all up and I put them back in the box. I took it out and I pulled out the first card, and it was the same exact card that we used last week. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's crazy. But then I had an idea because oh, Max wasn't here last week. Oh, no. So we're going to see what Max thinks about these would you rather questions. You're, it's fine. It's safe. I'm just going to ask you the would you rather questions. <laughs> oh, great. To see what your. What you're, I don't have to convince anyone of anything. Um, maybe we can make this a little bit more interesting. I don't know. I know. I think we're fine. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm gonna, first, I'm going to ask you what you would rather do. Yeah. Then I'm going to tell you who argued for which one. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you to figure out which one you think I chose. Okay. Based off of, now I'm not going to tell you the arguments. I like that. Obviously. Yeah. But I'm going to see which if you can figure out. But you did Toastmasters last week. We did Toastmasters, but it was just Bill V. Daniel. Right. And yeah. I was the judge. Okay. <clears throat> Sounds okay. good. So the first question was, would you rather always keep one eye closed or only breathe out of your nose? Which I just realized kind of rhymes. It does. I I will say this. Uh, I have pretty bad allergies, and I have, and they are getting better, but there are times when I can't breathe out of my nose. Uh, And that is unfortunate, and so I have to go with with closing one eye all the time, which is too bad. It's going to ruin a lot of pictures. True. Unless you just hide that part of your face. (laughs) Behind like a tree branch. (laughs) Uh, All right. So Bill was arguing for only breathing out of your nose. And Daniel was arguing for always keeping one eye closed. Who mm. do you think I chose? I think I think you absolutely went with one eye closed. Well, <laughs> there you'd be wrong. What? I what I said. I was very good judge, if I may. Oh my word! On the back. What I said was, if I was answering this question for myself, I would say one eye closed because for the same reason, I'd get congestion and I would die. Yeah. But I thought Bill made the stronger argument, so Bill won that one. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I, I can, mean, you, I can, I can, you have literally zero information to work on. I can off. figure this out. No, no, no. I got it. I'm getting the patterns. I'm learning the, the strategy. <laughs> well, you only got two more tries. Oh, I got this. All right, Max. Would you rather have someone on a bus But stand... wait, Scott, if you get a cold, you'll die. Well, I'm not... Again, I said if I was answering it, I would rather have one eye open. Man. But I thought Bill made the stronger argument. I cannot wait for to listen case. to the last episode and hear what that argument was. It's a good argument. You can't tell us now, but no, I won't. No, it's a surprise. <laughs> Except for the viewers or the listeners who have already heard it. That's right. It's not a surprise anymore for you. Maybe I'll splice it in. <laughs> Fancy. Uh, Max, would you rather have someone on a bus stand up unexpectedly and move away from you or have someone in the car next to yours at a red light look at you and then lock the door? <laughs> 
I mean, it's I, I would definitely go with look at me and lock the door because I'm not going to be able to hear that. And maybe I see like the little things shoot down. But at that point, it's like, well, that's, you know, the Prius is pretty menacing. So <laughs> I don't blame him for <laughs> being afraid. Fair enough. So Bill argued for having someone on a bus stand up unexpectedly and move away from you. Yeah. And Daniel argued for having someone in the car next to yours at a red light look at you and then lock the door. Yeah. Who do you think I went with? You Based on my pattern recognition, now that I've learned your mind, I've mapped it out, run the simulations, you went with Daniel's suggestion of them locking it in. I did go with Daniel. See, I'm, I'm locking it in. Bill now. got style points. Well, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel, I don't know. What did you do, Bill? You'll have to we listen and find out. a lot of humor in this uh, segment. Oh, my gosh. It was one of my favorite things that's ever happened. Dread. <laughs> uh, all right. And the last question that we did last week was, would you rather live in a world where you needed a quarter to get into every bathroom, including the one in your home, or where every bathroom only had one square of toilet paper? <laughs> including my home. Uh, yeah, I Presumably. assume so. Um, I mean, I think... One of the most important things to consider is that you're saying it's 25 cents to get in, right? It's a quarter to get in. That's what it says. Doesn't guarantee that there's going to be toilet paper in there. But if I'm paying a quarter to get into the bathroom, they're better. I hope that's funding the toilet paper. So I'm going to go with paying a quarter to get in because I just don't think you could ever really, you know, truly be clean. Like you're just having to, and I guess, yeah, you could like shower or do whatever you need to do. But uh, I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to go with, with paying to use the bathroom. Because in a way, that's what you do. When you flush, you're using water. You're paying for that water. You're not paying a quarter for it, but that's okay. Um, who, was, who was arguing for what? Daniel was arguing for the quarter. Bill was arguing for the one piece of toilet paper. I think Bill won. Bill did win. Yeah. <laughs> he won with style points. <laughs> uh, and just for good measure, we'll, we'll ask you this last question, too. Uh, would you rather be beautiful and boring or very unsightly with a great personality? Uh, I'd rather be, uh, hmm. <laughs> I thought it was obvious, but now I'm concerned. This wasn't arguing. Was no, it, this one, we only did the three. This wasn't arguing. Well, this is the last one that's on that card. Bill, what would you say? Oh, I'd, I'd rather... I don't want to be beautiful and boring. I'd rather be the other. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Scott. Beauty fades anyway. Oh, true. I mean, but personality is forever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right. Uh, it does say very unsightly. Personality only gets more think, intense with it. I think I would also say unsightly with a great personality for the same reason that Bill said, but I think I would also just let my wife decide. <laughs> <laughs> she's the one that's got to live with me. Hmm. Well, I like that it's beautiful but boring. Um, because it's not, you know, it's not beautiful and stupid. True. So like most aspects of your life that don't involve people are going to be going pretty well because I mean, yeah, you're boring, but you're probably pretty smart or at least regular intelligence and you're beautiful. Smart you are right now. That's right. So (laughs) maybe I'll take, maybe I'll take ugly and good personality in that case. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, man. I can't wait to listen to that segment. Uh, you're right. You and can't. It's you, amazing. That's, <laughs> and listeners I who, literally went home and listened to it again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and played it for Leah. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> uh, was that the uncut version then? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, am I going to have to make edits to last I week's? hope not. <laughs> but it's up to you. I, to I don't remember Bill, well Do you enough. think there's anything I'm going to need to remove? <laughs> oh, I think... I think Probably people are rolling on the floor. <laughs> you should add some censorship, little bleeps, little bleeps, but yeah, but not over real things that need to be censored. 
Just like for style. <laughs> just for style. Yeah. Just bleep a random word and make them wonder what it was. We should do that once. Oh, That'd I be agree. so funny. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it in the middle of this sentence. <laughs> uh, Scott, give me a number between one and a thousand and one. The first number, that, I'll just go with the first number that came to mind, which was a thousand. Because last week we were at a thousand and one. <laughs> we're going to work our way down. This, of course, comes to us from a thousand and one things you always wanted to know about the Bible but never thought to ask by J. Stephen Marcello uh, with oh. over uh, 600,000 copies sold, which has been adopted. Crazy. Yeah. Congratulations to Dan and Amber on adopting, adopting this J. man, Stephen. J. Stephen Lang, uh, to now be J. Stephen Marcello. Uh, this comes to us from the section odds and ends, mostly fascinating measurements. Uh, last week was the hour. This week is the cubit. This is the most common unit of measurement in the Bible. A cubit was the length of a man's forearm, roughly 18 inches. Many contemporary Bible translations are thoughtful enough to give measurements in cubits. And then in a footnote, give the equivalent in feet and inches. I'm curious as to what on earth you guys talked about with this last week. Um, cause I don't have any questions immediately coming to mind about cubits. Um, other than bill, I imagine like when you were growing up, did they have those conversions in the footnotes already? Or was that more of a more recent thing? No, they had them. Okay. And that concludes all of my questions <laughs> about cubits. <laughs> Do you guys have any questions about cubits? I don't really know what to say about it. That's a decent way of measuring things if everybody was the same Right. That's size. why there's so much disparity. <laughs> huh. The Nephilim must have never oh, yeah. known how big things were. <laughs> Did the Nephilim not have elbows? No, they were giants. They were giants. Oh, I see. I see. Unless they had normal-sized arms, <laughs> just really long legs. Yeah, uh, I'm reading a fascinating book that focuses a lot on the Nephilim. Yeah? Mm. Bruce said, this book really impacted me. I'd like you to read it. It's called The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. He's making a strong argument. The man is very scholarly. He's making a strong argument that the... Nephilim, yes, they're giants, but they're also the enemy of God. Mm. They are involved in the satanic, and they are, I suppose at the very least, you could say they're demon-possessed if they are not the human version of a demon themselves. And that is why the Israelites were charged with eliminating the Nephilim. And you have these kings that keep coming up over and over and over again. Agabation. I always wondered, why do they keep referring to Agabation, that they defeated him? Yes, you're going to defeat these other people like you did Agabation. And it comes out was well, because he's part of the Nephilim. And what God's really saying is, these are my enemies. Hmm. I want you to wipe them off the face of the earth. And today, as I was meditating on that, I realized the Nephilim are bigger, faster, stronger, better armed, more numerous than the Israelites. They have no chance against the Nephilim. They had no chance against Agabation. And the point is, I am with you. You will be victorious if you stay with me <clears throat> as you go into the promised land and fight these people. 
So there is this unseen realm being revealed through this book. It's, hmm. It makes a lot of sense to look at the Bible through the eyes of Michael Heiser and see this, this is helping me understand why there's such a great emphasis on eliminating the Canaanites who are part of the Nephilim. Mm. So when they're, when they're referring to the giants who are in Canaan, mm-hmm. the, the spies that go in, they're referring to the Nephilim. Yes. And, and now I can sympathize with the spies more. It's like, why didn't you guys have more faith? Now I can see it through their eyes too, that they were overwhelmed by the odds hmm. because the Nephilim had everything the Israelites didn't have. Plus they had fortification. I mean, they, they just had everything going for them. So no wonder those 10 spies were just adamant. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do it. We can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb simply spoke in faith and said, Mm. yes, God is with us. We will rout these people. Mm. But there was truly an act of faith on Caleb and Joshua's part. Wow. Now, is that where else do the Nephilim show up? They show up when they're... Show up in Genesis 6. Yes. That's that's the big passage, Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Okay. And so then that raises a question, well, if they were all drowned in the flood, why are they reappearing here in Numbers, in Joshua? And the point there, according to Michael Heiser, is it's because these are the enemies of God. You don't eliminate them simply with a flood. You... They are a spiritual being. They, they're in this realm that we really don't see. Really interesting. I looked at it as, oh, well, they reappear because of recessive genes. Huh. But I was thinking of just physical stature. This is, this is talking about the spiritual side of the Nephilim. Right. And mm. Scott, for your, your sermon on Noah, you did quite a bit of back-end research on the Nephilim, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I yeah. What did you find out? Yeah. What is the answer that you found very similar to that? Um, I didn't do much research on what happened after the flood in terms of the Nephilim. I did think about it mm-hmm. because they come back and that led. So, uh, the, from what I found, um, one of the prevailing opinions, which sounds like it might be slightly different from Michael Heiser's view, uh, but maybe they align. I, I don't know. It, they're similar, at least, uh, is that this idea that... I'll just read the passage real quick. Uh, Genesis 6. Um, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Uh, And then skip down to verse four, then Nephilim were on the earth in those days, or sorry, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old men of renown. Um, So I got into this just briefly in my sermon, um, because I think it's one of those things that if you, if you don't talk about it at all, people will be like, what the heck is going on here? So I, I, uh, and one of the prevailing opinions, which honestly, I think I find myself more in the camp of this than the more sort of, I guess you could say like naturalistic view, which is that it's just Seth's line versus Cain's line. So that's like Mm -hmm. one view. But the other view is that the sons of God and the daughters of men refers to 
angelic or demonic beings having unnatural relations with uh, with human women, and the result is these nephilim, which um, you know, Michael Heiser. It sounds like maybe he would say they're more not necessarily the result of a direct like a sexual relationship, but more like a spiritual relationship. Mm-hmm. And, yes, and, and yes, he he made it clear it wasn't a sexual matter. Sure. So maybe that's what it was. I don't know. I'm I'm not the scholar that Michael Heiser is. But as I was thinking about that, uh, and I know that there are there are a good number of of pretty scholarly people who do hold to that yeah. that belief. Um, and there's you know, reason to, um, but it made, you know, I was like, okay, so exactly what Bill was just saying, the flood happened, but then we see these giants crop back up in, in, you know, in Joshua and in Samuel and all that. Um, and so that led me to, okay, well, a couple of possibilities here. One, like what Bill just said, that means that Noah had some of this blood in him, um, because he was the only one that left or, and his sons, or I guess it could also have been one of his son's mm-hmm. wives, yeah. um, probably Ham's wife, um, based off of what we see happen later. Um, so that's like one possibility is that one of them had this blood in them. Another possibility is that again, what Bill was just saying, this happened again. Like it wasn't just reserved to the pre-flood times, but whatever was happening then happened again, um, which whatever the nature of it was, whether it was sexual or just spiritual, there's nothing to say it couldn't happen again. So those were like the two, I, there might've been one other possibility I came up with, but I, it was like a month or so ago, so I can't quite remember, but those were kind of the two things that I, I came to is either, either if it, if it's genetic and this blood was just in one of the people mm-hmm. uh, who, or more than one of the people who, who survived the flood or that this was a continuing a thing that was continuing to happen hmm. uh, even after the flood. Because one, one thing I did point out is that the flood didn't solve any problems. It just killed people who were causing problems. But the root problem was still there. The, uh, the root sin, problem of sin. Right? The root problem of sin and rebellion against God. So we see that immediately with Ham, like right after the flood or right after the flood narrative, you know, Ham... Come, you know, and Noah actually. And Noah, yeah, for that matter. Noah gets drunk and is naked, right. <laughs> so he's really drunk. Um, and then Ham comes in and and you know kind of makes a mockery of his father. And so I was like, we're still just right where we were before. It's just all those other people are gone now. But mm. give it a few generations, and and it's happening again. Yeah. Am I right in in I think that most of that doesn't really get referred to again when you get into the prophets, right? When you get into Samuel and Kings, there's a little bit there. I mean, there's, there's demonic forces in Kings and in Samuel. Um, well, it does speak in New Testament principalities, powers that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. So there is that connection. Mm-hmm. And in Romans eight, Paul talks about angels and demons, right? Not being yes. able to separate and, and us from... Angels and demons are all throughout the New Testament. You yeah. see them in the Gospels. And you see Jesus going head on with, with demons. With demons, yes. And I, what I really... I know this isn't the Bible per se, but in the movie, Jesus, the gathering demoniac is running wild. Mm-hmm. And Jesus goes running to him. Hmm which I think is a real accurate way to depict it. When I read that over and over and over again, 
without seeing that movie, I would just always think of, oh, golly, here he comes, you know, and everybody kind of ducks. Yeah. So I've got Jesus kind of just, okay, I guess I'll deal with this. But that wasn't it at all. It was Jesus. No, I'm I'm here to destroy the works of the devil. That's what First John says. Mm-hmm. I am running after this guy so he doesn't get away. Mm-hmm. I want to deal with these demoniacs. Whoa. Mm. It's not something we talk about a whole lot in church, and yet it's impossible to read the book of Mark and not see the word demon on every page. It's just, mm. it's there every page. Mm-hmm. The thing that comes to mind my mind um to that question max is that the bible doesn't tell us a lot about satan mm-hmm. like explicitly he comes up a couple of times um uh, but it's not too much especially in the grand scheme of how much there is here and i think that's like this book's not about him mm-hmm. like it's not about him right. and his yeah. demon like he's not right. the main character he's not even like a minor character he's nothing he's he's the enemy and god defeats him and that's it. Yeah. Um, so I was like, we don't need to spend a lot of time in the Bible on the Nephilim or the demons or or Satan, other than to say, like, watch out for these things. And also God totally wipes the floor with them. Yes. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> and, and it's a really a wonderful word of hope. Yeah. That people who are demon-possessed, and I don't ascribe to there's a demon behind every tree. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of people walking around demon-possessed. Yeah. They don't know it. I believe a lot of addictions are demon-based. Mm-hmm. The demons just literally take over your life. And the most common one being demon rum. You know, that alcoholism gets so bad that it is a demon mm-hmm. in your life. And you cannot fight it. It's it's just overwhelmed you. And I I'm again appealing to Bruce. He said, I remember a time when I was in a treatment center for alcoholism and I could feel a demon leaving my body. Hmm. And he was delivered. Yeah. It, it it is very real. And my hope is that people read the scriptures and say, this is my hope, mm. that even though I'm out of control with gambling, drugs, sex addiction, which includes pornography, even though I'm out of control, I, I am not hopeless. Mm. God, God's power is greater than this. Yeah. And he has a formula for dealing with this. And you could be part of it. You, mm. you could be part of that millions and millions of people who've been delivered from mm. the the demons of your life. Mm. Amen. So there's your talk on cubits. So there's your talk on cubits <laughs> for you. Uh, let's, it's time for Sermon Roundup. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. I, I just look at Dan's empty chair every time. Yeah. Uh, uh, whoever put the quote from last week's sermon on Facebook, use the hashtag Sermon Roundup. That was me. I'm going to start doing that every week. I love that. So I had to include it uh, by obligation. Uh, last week was family weekend, uh, and Pastor David preached about putting off the parts uh, of our lives that cause us to sin and putting on things that honor God uh, with possibly his largest object lesson, at least the that I've seen. He's famous for his object lessons, but this was like an entire outfit, two outfits of object lessons. True. Um, 
And he ended with these two questions, um, and and they're also part of this uh, sermon roundup hashtag uh, of this these questions like what sinful behaviors and habits has God called you to take off, and what godly behaviors is He challenging you to put on? Um, and really quick, I, I wondered if we could go around and say uh, whether it's in the past or in the present, um, and uh, uh, what behaviors or habits God has called you to put off in the past, to take off in the past, um, or, if, or are there any now? Well, for now, I would identify my own life, anger. Mm-hmm. But I find myself getting upset too easily. So I've mm-hmm. been praying against that very directly these last couple of weeks. I, I really think it's not only me, but I think COVID has done a lot to just shorten all of our fuses. Mm, yeah. We just don't have the patience we had two years ago. It's seen also just by how everyone's complaining about the other people driving. Mm. That It is a lot crazier on the road now than maybe any time I've ever driven. I just think I'm not even on the road much, thank goodness. But <laughs> but the little bit I'm out there on the road, I think, wow, that that maneuver was nuts. You know, <laughs> I'm so glad, yeah. you know, that at least he got in front of me. He just didn't go through my right door in order to get in front of me. How did you realize that God was convicting you about anger? Like, has it been a steady, like, ooh, I think that's starting to get convicting. Oh, I think I'm sorry. Or was there, like, a moment? Was it, like, how did you hear God convict you in that? I suppose it's, it's just as simple as, why are you so upset? You know, mm-hmm. why, why did you snap at that person? Or, you know, what's wrong with you? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was any big revelation. <laughs> any big moment of... Scott? Um, Sorry, I know you just took your phone out. It's okay. I took it down to write down what I'm about to say because I think it's a good illustration for a sermon, potentially. Oh. So, give me one second. Just a reminder that any thoughts on this show are copyrighted and (laughs) may not be reproduced or retransmitted in any form without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. (laughs) Speaking of which, the Braves won last night. Yes. Big news. The Houston Astros... Big cheaters famously uh, lost the World Series last night, which is pretty exciting for me. I don't know how you feel, Bill. I am thrilled that the Braves won. <laughs> I hate the Astros. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Because they cheated back yeah. in 2017, and they really weren't Punished. penalized very badly. <clears throat> Even for the it. commissioner of baseball said, "Why would we bother punishing them? The trophy is just a piece of metal." And it's like, what are we yeah. playing baseball for? <laughs> What do we compete for, if not a prize? If not a piece of metal. Apostle Paul. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, So what I was going to say was, I feel like a few years ago, how many years ago was this? It was before I got married. It was the spring before I got married. So it was like two and a half years ago. Um, I was getting getting my whole life ready for Leah to move in uh, because... I was living in my house and I had my car and all of these things were and mine and, and Leah was coming here to to join me in, in having those things. And so I want everything to be nice. I want my house to be clean. I want my car to be clean. Part of that was I spent a lot of time working on the patio outside of my 
than the oh, lower yeah. gray apartment. Because up until that point, uh, we had, Max and I had been living down there for nine months or something at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and so we moved in in July and then the fall came and then winter. So we, we hadn't done, I hadn't done much out there and I really wanted to kind of get it weeded and, and cleaned up. And so what turned, what started with just, oh, okay, I'm going to pull these weeds turned into like a whole weekend's worth of work of getting mulch and mulching areas and getting a bunch of rocks that I found around and making this little rock thing around an area and weeding a lot and getting a light thing to hang from the, a whole big deal. Cause I, I think what happens with me and maybe you can relate to this is once you start refurbishing or cleaning something and you get rid of the big problems, the little problems become the big problems mm-hmm. and you want to get rid of those too. And I think the Christian life is kind of like that because I think that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what pastor David said, you know, his list of, 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 dirty clothes to take off, essentially. I'm like, I think I see all of those things in my life. And isn't it just, like, the in a good way, the Christian, like, cliche that the older, more mature Christians are, like, more aware of their sinfulness than ever before. Yeah. And yet you would look at their lives and you're like, well, you're not doing these horrible things that I'm doing or that they're doing. And I think that's true. It's like, you know, if you struggle with lust and you first come into the Christian life and you're really dealing with sex addiction or pornography or whatever, and then finally you kind of overcome that, or at least in some significant way, you leave that behind you, the lust is still there. And now that you've gotten that big thing cleaned up, now you can start to see like, oh, but I'm really like, I'm looking at women in a way that I shouldn't, or like, mm-hmm. I'm watching movies that have things that I shouldn't be tolerating or whatever. Um, and then maybe you clean those things up and it's like, oh, man, I, 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 I had that thought. I should not have had that thought. And so it just kind of like the big things get moved and then the little things become the big things and you just kind of become more aware of them yeah so anyway so i think there's like a million things that i, that I could be <laughs> taking off and doing away with and i think one that that's been on my mind a lot is just like bitterness and, and kind of connected to anger like what bill was saying just like getting kind of riled up about dumb things and then mm. uh, uh when was this i guess it was about a month ago more than a month ago i think it was in september um Bill, Daniel Ream, and I went to the district conference, the the Midwest district of the Christian Missionary Alliance conference, um, and for a few days. And Daniel and I stayed for this extra peacemaking thing, um, peacemaking training, which was all about sort of godly conflict resolution. And part of that, sort of near the end, was these four promises of forgiveness. Like when you forgive someone, you're making these promises implicitly to them. And one of them was, um, I will not dwell on this matter. Mm. Um and the the instructor provided a definition of dwelling, and he said, thinking, speaking, or writing at length about something. Um, hmm. He's like, if you find yourself, you know, because sometimes a thought will come into your mind, but then the question becomes, are you going to dwell on it? And I feel like I'm dwelling on on things that I should should just be forgiving and and moving on from. Hmm. Um, so that's something, yeah, kind of the same, similar anger. I would also throw in like bitterness. Yeah. I think in my life for sure is, is, is bitterness is a major one. Um, <clears throat> I think I've always really struggled to forgive people, even people who hadn't necessarily like sinned specifically against me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think failing to, failing to repair relationships and failing to like trust, right. Failing to trust people. Um, and I think bitterness becomes, uh, you know, I can't remember what his, what piece of clothing bitterness was. Um, I don't know if bitterness was one of them. I think, I don't, 
I don't think so. But if I was to name it, I would say it's like a pair of gloves where it's just like any interaction you have with this person, every time you pick up this object and put it back down, if these gloves have like, like a mm. grime on them, it's just like, and even if you try and wipe it off, you'll just like smudge it. And you're like, oh no, see, it's fine. It's just got kind of this gross film on it now. And I think that's what bitterness does to your interactions with someone is all of a sudden you're fighting to like see the relationship for what it really is when there's, when, you know, every time you interact with it, the devil's whispering in your ear, like how they're just saying that because of this, that, and that other thing that you still are upset about. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, you know, oh, there's another example of this. Um, and, and that really just decays, right? And really all of a sudden your shelf is all the objects on your shelf and your heart are just covered in this grime yeah. where you're like, wow, it's mostly grime on my shelf now, not even the objects themselves, but these gloves have just ruined everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, um, on the flip side, what godly behaviors is he challenging you to put on? And I'll challenge you not just to say the opposite, <laughs> to say like, to stop being bitter, <laughs> to stop being angry. Um, but what godly, uh, behaviors is he challenging you to put on? Scott, <laughs> as your eyes flip back and forth wildly. <laughs> um, I think... So in, I think it was this week's chapter uh, of, I should specify that the, the, the young men's discipleship groups that I'm leading each week, we're reading through the pursuit of God. And I think it was this week's chapter that in which he said this, um, but I could be wrong about that. But Tozer says this thing that's really interesting. He talks about the difference between a scribe and a prophet. He says a scribe reports on what he has read. A prophet reports on what he has seen and like experienced. Hmm. Um, and I feel like, I don't, I don't know if I can put that into like one word, but I feel like that's something that God is calling me to is a sort of a, a more like experiential, like intentional time with him yeah. kind of walk. Bill? Well, I'm thinking of one particular exercise that I've been doing this year, and maybe Scott will remember this. I wrote a, we'll call it a poem, even <laughs> though it doesn't, it's not a rhyming poem. It doesn't even have meter. It's, it's not that poetic, but it's short. And it has to do with who I am in Christ. Yeah. But I find myself adding to it particularly at the end, the last few words are something to the effect of Jesus Christ has called me to do the things he was doing and greater things than these because he has ascended into the throne room of God mm. where he intercedes and advocates for me 24-7. I too am called into that same throne room of the Godhead in order that I might receive grace and mercy in my time of need. It is upon these truths that I stand as I come humbly, yet boldly, to ask largely of my infinite God. And now this is what has been added on in the last two, three weeks. I have been commissioned to storm the gates of hell mm. and take back what Satan has stolen from me. Jesus has promised that the gates of hell 
cannot prevail against me because he has already broken the foundations of the gates of hell and is going with me as we storm those gates yet again. Mm. And then I begin praying for big things from God. Amen. But I think, wow, what a truth. Usually when we think of that verse, and I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We think of the gates of hell as sort of coming at you. You know, right. you've got, you're being attacked. And, and that is not the picture. It's you're attacking the gates of hell. You are breaking through those bars in order to take back what Satan has stolen. It's a whole different picture. And what an honor hmm. that Jesus Christ is saying, I've already defeated him. I've already broken loose the foundation. I know these gates of hell look intimidating to you like a maximum security prison would, but really it's a facade. Hmm. Satan is just deluding you. These gates have already been broken. However, I'll go with you hmm. and together we'll storm them again and get back what you've had stolen from you. What what an awesome honor so that we can get mm. on our knees and just start praying for big things yeah. that um, most of the rest of the world would just shrug, shrug their shoulders and just say, oh, I give up. I can't do anything with it. Or they become bitter about it, just complain. Um, how can you not love the Christian life when you've mm. been given so many great gifts yeah. from God? Mm. Yeah. Well, it's like Romans 8, again, putting uh, sin to death by the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. This is not you going alone. It's not like, ah, God will teach me what to do, and then I'll do the magic things, and everything will be okay. It's like God will act for you. Jesus is yeah. with you and behind you and ahead of you. Hmm. Amen. I think I'm being called to really, I haven't put too much thought into this, but I think I'm being called to more rigorously consider what it means to work for God and not for people, mm-hmm. um, and not just in my work, but in every area of my life. Um, you know, what does it mean for my job to be for God and, and not for people? What does it mean for my friendships, for my relationships, for my uh, for the podcast to be for God and not for people? Um, for everything uh, in in my life. Um, because <laughs> Scott fixes Bill's microphone stand. Um, because uh, you know, it's it's funny to me to think about working for God and not for man as just being about my career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because presumably the everything else I fill my time with and and choose to to enjoy then is for me, right? And that I'm a I'm a man, and thus I'm doing those things for man and not for God. Um, and so, how can I make the th- ways I spend my time, the things that I do, be things that honor God one way or another? Um, and uh, yeah, and that's something that comes in waves. And I think I was talking about the same thing about a year and a half ago. Um, but uh, but it's really. Uh, come back again. And I think I, I've been in a valley in terms of my personal devotions um, where it's been harder to focus and harder to really engage with 
the the chapters of scripture I read every day. Um, and part of that is just that mind wandering kind of bit of like, okay, well, I need to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Mm. I don't really have time to do that. I mean, like I said, I haven't listened to last week's episode yet. Scott gave me that on Thursday afternoon. I haven't even begun to edit it because I haven't had a minute. Um, and you can believe that when I'm doing my devotions for a half an hour or an hour or however long it takes me, cause I'm a slow reader every morning, at least 20 of those minutes are spent thinking like, okay, as soon as I'm done, I'm going to pray and then jump off of this couch and run over to my computer and start doing X, Y, and Z. Um, so I think just really saying, well, my, my time really belongs to God. Then what am I worried about? If my time really belongs to God, he will show me what is worth my effort and what is not. He will show me what brings him honor and what brings me glory. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the, that'll be my, my windbreaker <laughs> that I'll be putting on for sure. Um, well, we're moving slowly through our notes today. We're two of five segments in and we've been, we're at minute 53, uh, um, on the recording. <laughs> so, uh, it's four <laughs> o'clock <laughs> bill. <laughs> I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want to answer a, uh, no, I'm not going to give you a choice. <laughs> <laughs> what a roller coaster. Uh, what a roller coaster emotion. Quick question. Uh, is it okay to read the Bible and just not get it? Whether it is stories in Genesis that have aspects we don't understand, or prophecies in Revelation or Isaiah, or Daniel for that matter, uh, or some of Paul's writings. Uh, it doesn't feel like Scripture always makes intuitive sense on our first reading. Is that okay? Yes, it yeah. is. Why wouldn't it be? (laughs) This is God's word. And his ways aren't our ways. He's revealed something with so many layers. Hmm. Right now, Aaron and I are working on a sermon based on the life of Joseph. And this is a spoiler alert. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That Joseph's life is a type of Jesus. And the more I look at this, the more I ask myself, how come you never really saw this so much before? Yeah. What, what, what is going on? And how can you read this? Probably, I'm saying very, very conservatively, 20 times and, and not really have more than a thought of, you know, I see some similarity here. Hmm. Uh, how can this be? I mean, there are some cool things. I'll give you one that I think is really cool. Joseph is betrayed by his brother, who in Hebrew, his name is Yehuda. Okay. Jesus is betrayed by his apostle, whose name in Hebrew is, is Yehuda. Yeah. So you have a betrayal by two men, Judah, Judas. Hmm. Whoa. Okay, this isn't just a coincidence when there are up to 100 of these points Mm. between Joseph and Jesus. This is mind-boggling. It makes the scriptures so otherworldly, so far, so far beyond anything else written. Mm. It's... 
it's truly transcendent. The mm. scriptures are truly transcendent. So for somebody to get down on themselves because I'm just not getting it, or I read today and I didn't get anything out of it, join the club. There's <laughs> Everybody's done that. Maybe, maybe Jesus read the scriptures and always got something out of it, but I bet he's the only one. And if he... We ask him in heaven, he says, no, there were some days where it just didn't ring a bell with me. I'd find that believable. <laughs> I love the idea of Jesus reading the Old Testament and being like, yeah, that's me. I am that God. <laughs> uh, Scott. Um, so I was looking for this part in Daniel, uh, which I found. But while I was trying to find it, I also found some other things, which are kind of fun. But so the part I was looking for is this is Daniel 8, verse 26. Uh, it says, the vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. Um, hmm. And uh, I remember hearing someone, I forget what the context was that they were talking about this, but they, they were talking about this idea that that parts in the Bible were written for people far later, like explicitly written for people far later um, than, than there. Um, and so we can kind of read into that and say, like, okay, well, probably then it says it concerns the distant future. So probably the people that maybe would have read Daniel's writings in the near future, it's not really about them. So they still might not really get it. Right. And so we can kind of extrapolate that. But then what I even found when I was looking for that is Daniel 8, verses 15, which says, well, I, Daniel, was that's what it says, while I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it. And then in Daniel 8, verse... 27, it says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days, then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Hmm. Like, even the guy that wrote it, <laughs> he was like, I don't know what this means. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just to, to add that onto what Bill said, like, of, of course, hmm. like, even Daniel, who who's lifted up with... I forget where the passage, but there's a part that says like you know Daniel's and like and Job's righteousness couldn't say, and maybe Noah, but he's like in this this list of like Bible superheroes almost, yeah. um, like their righteousness wasn't enough to save their families or something like that, and even he and he wrote it, and he's like I I was trying to understand this, I couldn't understand it, yeah. So like, yeah, like good luck. <laughs> I mean, we do have the Holy Spirit. Um, which is helpful. But it, so did Daniel. I mean, the, so the, so the did Holy, Daniel. Holy Spirit was inspiring Daniel to write it. Um, so, you know, what's beyond us is not beyond him. Mm. Um, and also, like, you know, sometimes you're just not going to get it. Yeah. Particularly not on the first try. Yeah. Clank. Which is what I love about the Bible. Mm. If it were at the same level as a newspaper. Nobody meditates on the newspaper. I'm going to come back to that and read that again. I'm going to save what this did I and miss? read it again next year. No, nobody does that. If the Bible were that one-dimensional, this would be a pitiful, pitiful life. Hmm. Just a pitiful life to pursue. Hmm. Yeah. And there is the promise that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Yeah. And even if... I can't figure out how I can use it now <laughs> or what it means. Absolutely. Final thoughts on meditating on the newspaper? See, that was a quick question. We're flying now. <laughs> we'll be done in seconds. Uh, it's time for Topic of the Week. Topic of the Week this week is brought to you by the Kids Front Porch. Bloomingdale Church has its own kids show, and you can watch it right now. 
now, unless you're driving. Don't do that. Sweet Stephanie, Professor Smarts, Nana the Story Lady, Handy Mandy, and our little friends Lisa and Larry are meeting again on the kids' front porch for seven new episodes this fall. They are learning about the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Each week sees stories, characters, and music for kids of all ages to enjoy. The kids' front porch to watch the entire first and second seasons for free. Visit youtube.com slash channel slash UCL w 3 b d a q c 0 underscore e e r k h j f q z v j q slash videos. Would or, you go with that again? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> or just visit bluingdalechurch.org slash kidsfrontporch, <laughs> uh, which may be easier, but we'll put the link in the description. Uh, for topic of the week this week, we're going to start with a piece of trivia for you. Who is believed to be the only Gentile writer of the Bible? This is taking longer than I thought. Not that I'm disappointed. I just... <laughs> I'd, I could swing a guess as to the book, but I don't know who wrote it. I'll say we know who wrote this. I'm saying I don't know who wrote it. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> well, I don't know who wrote the book that I'm thinking of. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> is it Job? Are you referring to Job? No. Oh, because we don't know if Job was a Gentile, right? He probably was. Yeah, yes. I was thinking of Esther. Mm. But she was Jewish. But well, she, she didn't was write Jewish, it herself. But we didn't know right. Who wrote That's it. why I'm saying I don't know who wrote it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that one was written by a Gentile. Yeah. Um, Interesting thing about Esther, the name of God is never mentioned in it. That's right. right. Which weirds me out. Like it's it's more about to me it feels like it's more about being Jewish than it is about being a servant of God. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, there's a Bible translator friend of mine who's a brilliant man he said in hebrew it's like those acrostics you'll see yahweh forwards backwards maybe diagonally in the text so they were slipping the name of god in there in order to get it past the persians huh pretty interesting Man, we should do an episode about the Book of Esther. I don't know anything about the Book of Esther. I mean, other than having read it, like, I don't know anything about its history or Mm. how it was decided that it should be into the canon or anything like that. Mm. Oh, wait. No, never mind. I don't know. So Job is the book? No. Oh, all right. Do you know who the only Gentile writer of the Bible is, supposedly? It's It's not coming to mind. Oh, Dr. I, Luke. In I Colossians, was about to say Luke. In that's, that's, Colossians 4, Paul writes about his traveling team, which includes Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, or Justice, uh, as, quote, the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. And then immediately says, Luke, the beloved doctor, also sends his greetings. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, oh, it's Luke. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, he wasn't a Gentile. He just wasn't an apostle. But apparently maybe he was a Gentile. He apparently was. According to that and then also... Um, wait, so that would have to be Luke and... Wait, how was the question for? Uh, it was just who was the only Gentile writer of the Bible. So oh, he wrote Luke and Luke Acts. And Acts. Yeah, okay, um, gotcha. Bill, what do we know about Luke? Well, he was a traveling companion of Paul. And there's something interesting about when they go to visit Philippi, Lydia talks them into basing their operation out of her home. Mm-hmm. And the pronoun we is used all along there. And then for a while... When you pick up the book of Acts, it's not we anymore. So there's this thought that 
maybe Luke had fallen in love with Lydia. Huh. And he stayed behind for a while. Quite a while. Huh. That's adorable. And then gets reunited with Paul later. Yeah, there's no way to really <laughs> prove this. I mean, it's just a thought. <laughs> but, but people that read the Bible real carefully discovered that. And that came up in a doctoral class I was taking. I thought, this is really cool. Yeah. I kind of hope that's true. I don't know. It's kind of like a Star Wars expanded universe kind of spinoff <laughs> yeah. there. But I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Um, <laughs> Is that all we know about Luke? No, I mean, that, that's all conjecture. <laughs> oh, we don't even know that about Luke. <laughs> yeah, that's a conjecture. That, that may have happened. Scott, what conjecture do you have about Luke? I can conjecture about Luke all day long, but none of it will be true. Well, what do you know? Uh, he was a doctor. Yeah. And he, um, I wish I had this in front of me, but I I don't. There was, this was in like an apologetics book, I believe, Um but someone who has some pretty good clout in sort of the academic, historical, scholarly world described Luke, who was not a believer, or maybe he became a believer. But it was one of the, I think it was one of those instances of trying to disprove things. He described Luke as a historian of like the highest caliber. Hmm. Um, so from all of the information that we have, uh, looking at the way Luke chronicled his gospel and then the acts uh it's a very historically reliable document because Mm. this guy who again i wish i i don't have it i don't even remember where i read that um but i think i read it more than once um this guy who knows what he's talking about described him in that way um and so and you look at you know luke's account like you can you know see that luke wasn't he wasn't Peter or Matthew, he wasn't there. He was someone who was interested in, in re- I mean, not that they didn't do this, but <laughs> he was in, he was interested in relaying the facts as they happened, not as, well, I was there, I was a part of it, and this is, you know, you know, he didn't necessarily have, obviously he was a believer, but he didn't have the same kind of skin in the game as like Peter and Matthew had. He was interested, he, he gathered his accounts and he went to eyewitnesses and he, and he, and he recorded what happened and yes. it's very reliable. Yes. Um, so that's about all I have about Luke. Yeah. And uh, obviously salvation being for the Gentiles is important to us, as I think none of us are Jewish. Um, but what's cool about Luke being a Gentile and accompanying Paul on this trip is that Paul is immediately jumping into this Gentile ministry, right? He's immediately like, well, I got this doctor and I've converted him, and he's coming with me, hopefully to keep me safe. And maybe he verifies the kid who falls out of the window and dies. And Luke's like, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> I am a doctor. Um, but, you know, Paul's immediately beginning this Gentile ministry, starting with the guy who's going to chronicle all of their of their travels. Um, and so when, when Paul, I, I want to really briefly touch on like what it means for Paul to be going as the hands and feet to the, to the Gentiles, right? Not necessarily starting with Luke, but starting with Luke pretty fast um, and sort of moving into, uh, you know, when he goes to a new city, he goes to the Jewish synagogue first and is usually kicked out or, or something. And then he goes and preaches to the Gentiles instead. And he's a tent maker and, and all of this stuff. Um, so let, let me start with the question of when Paul says that there is no longer slave or free Jew or Greek, 
What does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, there's no hierarchy with salvation. Hmm. We all stand on that same level ground at the cross. Hmm. And then when you get into the life of the church, you see a lot of egalitarianism hmm. that you don't see in other organizations. In a church, the most valuable person in the church is not usually the richest person in the church. Hmm. It's somebody who has a spiritual gift that is really helping the church immensely. I, I remember years ago when we were starting our church in Long Grove, the Lombard Bible Church was heavily involved in that. And there was a young woman in the church. Her name was Karen Kugel. Uh, she was, I think, the aunt of Nate Kugel. Oh, wow. Hmm. But she was a young, young woman then. She was, say, 23 years old. And a woman in the church commented to Nancy this young lady has revitalized our church. She has won so many people to Christ and brought them into our church. And, and they thought, I, I, I can't prove this, but the number was somewhere around 50. Hmm. So you got 50 people in a very short period of time showing up at a church that has maybe 300 people present on Sunday morning because that's all the building can hold. Uh, that That's really an influential person. Yeah. A young woman, no real money. Hmm. She's not on the board. She's not an elder. Yeah. She's not a deacon. But she's winning people to Christ, bringing them to church with her. Hmm. You got to love that passage. Yeah. Now, up until that point, up until, you know, really seemingly Jesus, right? The people of God, that being the Jews, have kind of existed on a hierarchy, right? At least if the mm -hmm. if the the Pharisees, the Sadducees are to be believed. So how does Jesus sort of espouse this new, you know, salvation is for the Gentiles, salvation is for everyone, sort of uh, to use, um, shoot, to use like sort of leadership development language for the sake of Daniel Riemenschneider, like Jesus sort of activating people, being an activator for people who normally wouldn't have the chance to um, to get the chance to serve, right? What are examples of Jesus sort of beginning that process? Because it doesn't begin with Paul. I'm thinking of Luke chapter 3. Now, this may sound real boring, so just hang in there. <laughs> it begins with verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Hmm. The reason why I like this is they're naming all these... In People, almost in order of their importance, too. Tiberius Caesar, okay, he is the Roman Empire, emperor. And then Pontius Pilate, governor. And you just keep working your way down. It's all big shots. <laughs> but the word of God comes to John in the desert. In a hole in the ground. So here's a man eating locust and wild honey. <laughs> all right, yeah. camel hair outfit. Yeah. 
but the word of God comes to him. Hmm. And that's that's egalitarianism, my friend. <laughs> I, I'm looking for somebody I can trust the word of God with. I'm yeah. not looking for the emperor. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What other examples of Jesus sort of bypassing this sort of stratified uh, Well, look who he chooses for his apostles. Hmm. As Paul says, not many noble. (laughs) Jesus picks out four fishermen and Hmm. a tax collector. Yeah. We don't really know what all those other ones were doing, but Simon was basically a revolutionary, Simon the Zealot. They have been already turned down earlier in life to be incorporated into the Jewish hierarchy because no other rabbi had selected them. They right. weren't the cream of the crop. You just got to love this. Mm. Jesus goes and picks these people out and they turn the world upside down. Mm. Mm. Scott and the women yep. that Jesus yeah. incorporated into his disciples and and taught, um, and then selected to be the first witnesses to his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another example. I'm trying. I'm I'm sure there are instances. In fact, I'm, I'm quite confident. I just don't know where they are sure. of Jesus. Uh, I believe healing a few non-Jewish people. Oh yeah, um, yeah. The yeah. centurion's son, right? Oh yeah, there's one. Um, the Syrophoenician woman's mm-hmm. demon-possessed daughter. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are all examples. Yeah. And then even you know you said I'm sure it didn't start with Paul and it obviously didn't, but but Paul's um, conversion mm-hmm. includes. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Um, and then right before that is the instance of Philip and the Ethiopian that we talked about yeah. a few weeks ago. Um, so even, well, Jesus did it in his own life, but even these people like Philip and the Ethiopian and then, of course, Paul, like it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, and, and Paul had a heart for the Gentiles. So he, he's like, no, Jesus, God says this is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. It was yeah. like, that was, that was God and Jesus through Paul. Yeah. Um, obviously. So, hmm. yeah. I think about the woman at the well, um, mm-hmm. who's a Samaritan who Jesus goes to. Yeah. Um, and then when he's praying in, I want to say it's the, in John, when he's praying um, and he's with his disciples uh, and he, A, prays for all believers who will come in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think it is in John when he's talking to his, his disciples about the sheep, right? And, and being both the gate and the shepherd. Yeah. And he says, I have more sheep who are not a part of this flock and they have to come too. Um, which I think refers to Gentiles, could refer to aliens. The word is still out on that. <laughs> um Final thoughts on, I know we're flying a little bit. Um, I don't know. Final thoughts on salvation being for the Gentiles. Again, it's good news for us as individuals. True. Something that I was just reading about a day or two ago. Um, going back to Noah uh, and his sons. After this whole thing with Ham that happens, God curses Ham. Ham is the father of Canaan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that ties back into the Nephilim as well. He curses Ham. Well, specifically, he curses Canaan. Um, and then he blesses 
um, Shem, who is the ancestor of the Israelites. And he also blesses Japheth, uh, who is the ancestor of a lot of other people, many Gentiles <laughs> who were not Canaanites. Um, and he said, may God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. And uh, I, I remember there being two interpretations that, that Matthew Henry had for that that phrase. I, I can't remember what they both were, but, um, but the, the gist of it was the same, was this idea that Japheth, the Gentiles dwelling in the tents of Shem, the Jews, mm-hmm. uh, and how that is like they're a prophecy of, of what's going to be coming mm-hmm. with, um, you know, the incorporation of the Gentiles and the people of God. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate it. Just think of Jesus' great commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. Hmm. Well, uh, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's, trivia quizzes, and your favorite nations to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. For our closing segment this week, it is time for a little game that we call Head to Head. Uh, We've got a list of some topics here, and you two will take turns telling me one item from said list, and the first person to fail to give a correct answer will lose the round. For example, if I said... Uh, state capitals. Oh, gosh. Bill, you would say... Columbus, Ohio. And Scott, you would say... Albany, New York. And so on and so forth. That's not two state capitals. We will not be doing state capitals. Don't worry. It's uh, mostly biblical. Um, So we'll uh, go until one of you misses, and if the other one can uh, sort of steal as so to speak, Mm. you'll get a point, and we'll move on to the next category. We have four categories. We'll start with... Uh, a, an easy one. Uh, books of the New Testament. Oh, gosh. Bill, take it away. You say one word, we'll go to Scott for one word, and we'll come back to you. You do realize we could just go in order. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Just say <laughs> Matthew. Be, be my guest. Mark. Luke. John. Acts. Romans. First Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Galatians. Ephesians. Philippians. Colossians. First Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. First Timothy. Second Timothy. Titus. Philemon. Hebrews. James. First Peter. Second Peter. First John. Second John. Third John. Jude. Revelation. <laughs> Flawless. <laughs> I, there are plenty of people who cannot do that. So thank you very much for doing it. I you it would have been interesting to try and throw each other off by saying uh like jumping ahead. Yeah. Um well, we're we're brothers in Christ here. We support each other. <laughs> well, only one of you is gonna get the prize. So <laughs> I lit I, I physically cannot split this prize in half. So you will be wow. getting only one of you will be getting it. Uh moving on, uh we're gonna do uh the uh, 12 disciples. Scott, get us started. Uh, Peter. James. John. Andrew. Matthew. Philip. Nathaniel? Uh-huh. Bartholomew. Bartholomew and Nathaniel are the same. I wasn't sure how this was going to go, because there's also a disciple right. named Thaddeus. That's correct. Um, Judas. Okay. James the Lesser. Okay. Simon the Zealot. Okay. I don't even remember which ones we said. Yeah, me either. <laughs> There's only one left. Hmm. 
Thomas. Thomas it is. Well done. So it's also, Peter. Well, you said, I mean, the 12, but then there's also the replacement one, and then Paul. Yes. <laughs> the replacement one. Who is the replacement one? Matthias? Yes, it is, because they cast uh, lots for it, mm-hmm. as we t- discussed two weeks ago. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, slash Nathaniel, James the Lesser, Judas, Jude, or Thaddeus, Matthew, or Levi, Philip, Simon the Zealot, and Thomas. Um, moving on. We might have to figure out a way to split this prize in half. Oh, don't worry. Don't, don't worry. I, won't, I don't think I'm going to have to. Good. Moving on. The seven churches of Asia from oh, Revelation. <laughs> uh, and it's Bill's turn to go first. Smyrna. Ephesus. Laodicea. That was the other one I was going to say. Um, Scott, I'm going to need to press you for an answer. I know. I know you know at least one of these. At least one of the ones that well, hasn't said yet. I should know all of them. I've read it a couple times, That's but true. I don't know You've if I've been reading it recently. I don't know if I'm gonna bring it be able to bring it to mind. All right, so he said Smyrna, Ephesus, Laodicea, Thyatira. Philadelphia. That's right. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you got one more to take the point? I mean he started, so we should get the okay, point. How many we, there's only one left? Oh, that's true. Have he we did done start. Six? There's two left. Pergamum. Oh yeah, that's Pergamon good. is one. Good. Can anybody get the last one? Sardis. Uh, Sardis. But maybe given be... a maybe given enough time. See, <laughs> we're, we're still tied. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to give Bill the point for that one because Scott did resign, and then I we, did. That's fair. Uh, went through more of them, but we'll but see how this. Came up with Pergamon, man. That's... We'll see how this question goes. Uh, I said it's mostly biblical, and this is exactly why we now reach the books of the Apocrypha. Oh my oh, god, brother! <laughs> and I it's know. Scott's turn to go first. Uh, I don't actually know what's in the Apocrypha. You got this, bud. Um, there's 14. There's 14? That's right. Can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, this won't be my answer if the answer is yes, but is the Gospel of Thomas in the Apocrypha, or is that just like The non- Gospel of Thomas is not in the Apocrypha. Okay, cool, cool. Um, first Maccabees. Well, they're pseudepigraphical books. That's what makes this so confusing. That's correct. So, yeah. uh, first Maccabees, yep. Second Maccabees. Yep. Uh, I think it's like, what is the name? Is it Solomon and the Dragon? Hmm. Or is it Simon and the Dragon? Oh, you're you're on the those right are two track. separate books. Okay. There's one involving Solomon and there's one involving a dragon. Okay. Does the name with the dragon begin with an S? No. Oh shoot. Um. Oh, I, I like vaguely remember the Solomon one and vaguely remember the dragon one, mm-hmm. which is probably why I combined them in my brain. These are the wildest names. Yeah. They're, they Pretty are cool. insane names. Each of these would be a great like chapter title in like a sci-fi book. <laughs> um, I don't know if I have it. Bill? All right. Bell and the Dragon. Bell and, Bell the, dragon. and the Dragon. Wisdom of Solomon. Wisdom of Ecclesiasticus. Solomon. Ecclesiasticus. Oh, yeah. Judith. Yes. I think there might be first and second Judith. I'm not sure. I only have one Judith. Oh, one. Okay. The one true Judith. Yeah. Is the Book of Enoch in there, or is that a different? Yeah, that's a Enoch is book. In there. Okay, this is the list I've got. Is Tobit? Yeah. Oh yeah. Adi- uh, I won't count additions to the Book of Esther. Um, Azariah and the first song- and second Esdras. First and second Esdras. Prayer of Manasseh. Okay. And Psalm one fifty one. I I don't think Psalm one fifty one is an apocryphal book. Well, we've still got Tobit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll always have Tobit. We'll always have Tobit. <laughs> Either way, that means Bill wins. <laughs> um, 
Congratulations, Bill. You've won yourself one pound of Chick-fil-A sauce. That could be divided. Whoa. Just squirt it into little containers. Yeah, one pound. nice. 16 ounces of Chick-fil-A sauce for the man, the myth, the muffin, Bill Calvin. Uh, That is all the time that we have this week. If I've I've learned anything. favorite junk food. If I've learned anything, it's that I don't know what's in the Apocrypha. Well, the Apocrypha that... Is the Apocrypha are the fourteen books the Catholic Bible has that are, and that's what I thought I looked up. But you're absolutely right. I think I've got more than fourteen here. Either way, uh, that is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Nancy. Thank Thank you, Max. Is that Nancy? (laughs) Yep. Hi, Nancy. Nancy, what are you (laughs) making tonight? Sweet. Oh yeah, Scott. Take us home. You have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Apocrypha, brought to you from (laughs) Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. (laughs) Yes. I think any episode without Dan is an apocryphal episode of the Blue and Church podcast. It's like I said to Josh Ramirez, Dan is the heart of the nation. Man, we talked a long time about cubits. Talked, we did. talked a long time about Sermon Roundup. That was well, great. The Nephilim, man. They, who would ever think the Nephilim would be such a big deal? Well, they're so tall. They were. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I was a little, I'm a little surprised that all the categories you had were finite. Oh, you thought they might just go forever? Well, I mean, not forever. There's <laughs> bounds of the English language, but I I was expecting them to be like basically, <laughs> you, know, you know, cars. You can kind of go until you drop, sort of thing. No, yeah. There's bounds to the English language. <laughs> yeah, we only have we have a minimum of something like forty thousand words in the. That's the number that came to my mind too. They I mean, no other language is even close. I would have thought Mandarin or Cantonese. No, we're, we're so far ahead. It's not even funny. Well, it's because nice. the United States, because we're constantly adding other people's words. Yeah. So. Well, and then when you take technological language. Yep. My gosh. Yep. Now there's no end in sight. Yeah. So yeah, so it was a lot of a lot of work, um, but that worked out fine because Nita and Adrian are obviously working, so we'd all take breaks at the same time and drink coffee around the kitchen counter, and then go back to it, and it was a good time. It was good weather, not too humid. I didn't get sunburned. Went so to the Kennedy four Space computers Center. pulling on all that Wi-Fi. Oh yeah, but it's I mean Adrian's the one who set up the Wi-Fi, so it's pretty. He knows what he's doing. Okay, it's pretty good. You know the computer belongs to a redneck if the mouse is referred to as a critter. (laughs) The keyboard is camouflaged. There's a skull can in the CD-ROM drive. There's a gun rack mounted on the CPU. The password is Bubba. The numeric keypad only goes up to six. (laughs) Outgoing faxes have beer stains on them. The printer goes really slow since Bubba don't read too fast. The extra RAM slots have Dodge truck parts installed in them. The menus all have Budweiser, Black Label, and old Milwaukee options. Thank you, Nita. This, she asked, did you see Max yet? I said, no. <laughs> well, he has something for you. I said, okay, thank you, Nita. Is it from you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all from right. me. <laughs> what is this? Have Scott, do you need a minute this to This is literally... Your... Wait. What? How is this even possible?
What is it? How? This is the card. I opened this up. Yeah. I pulled the first card. This is the card we used last week. Even though it fell over, the cards went all over the place. <laughs> Maybe God wasn't satisfied with your answers last week. <laughs> That's so crazy. 